Welcome to the Rich Roll Podcast, episode 23, with lifestyle entrepreneur Lewis Howes. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Rich Roll, and this is the Rich Roll Podcast. If you're new to the show, who am I? Well, I am an ultra-distance triathlete. I am the best-selling author of the book Finding Ultra, which came out last year, which, by the way, the paperback is coming out at the end of May. So if you've been waiting and waiting and waiting until the cheaper version of the book comes out, uh, wait no further. You can pre-order it on Amazon. Uh, It drops May 21st, and uh, they're taking pre-orders now, so check that out. Uh, I'm also a plant-based nutrition advocate. Uh, That's a long way of saying that uh, I'm a vegan. I subsist on a whole food plant-based diet to energize my body and fuel my training. I'm a public speaker, motivational speaker. Uh, I guess you could call me a holistic lifestyle entrepreneur, (laughs) whatever that means. Uh, I'm a recovering attorney and a family guy. I've got four kids and have been married coming up on 10 years now. Uh, I started this podcast back in December uh, with a simple goal to share with you uh, many of the people and personalities that I've come across uh, along this fantastic journey that I've been on and to to share with you uh, the inspiring voices who have helped me along the path, uh, the forward thinkers in health and wellness and fitness and personal lifestyle maximization, I guess you could you could call it. Uh, my guests have been doctors, nutritionists, world-class athletes, uh, entrepreneurs like our guest today, uh, trainers, uh, and a whole plethora of very interesting, uh, like I said, forward-thinking, uh, sort of paradigm-busting uh, minds and personalities. Um, I'm bringing them to you uh, with the simple goal of trying to empower you to achieve your best, most authentic self so that you can unleash your own personal power on the world and become more fully actualized as a human being. Uh, Because when I talk about health, um, people always tend to say, well, you know, they want to know about the diet and what I eat. And I always look at food as sort of a, a shared communal experience, and it's the starting point. It's the starting point to health, what you put down your throat, what you eat, Uh, is a portal uh, into everything else that you do. But it's also just a starting point. Once you clean up your diet and you're eating healthy and you're feeling good, well, what do you do with that energy? Uh, And in my case, um, I tend to perceive it uh, as a means of embarking on your own uh, journey to achieve your very personal destiny. And So uh, I like to bring all sorts of different guests on um, that aren't specifically going to talk about food, um, but all sorts of facets of life that I consider to be encompassed under the umbrella of wellness. And by wellness, I mean a holistic uh, balance of mind, body, and spirit. So thanks for joining me. Uh, What can I tell you? It's been an interesting past couple weeks I just got back recently from Charleston, South Carolina, which is a fantastic town. I was only there like a day. 
I wish I could have been there longer. It's such a cool city. I was able to get out on a morning run and explore the city, and uh, it was quite magnificent. Uh, I can't wait to go back there. Uh, but what I wanted to tell you is that I had the opportunity to visit the College of Charleston, uh, where I got to speak with the students. It was my first uh, experience speaking at a college. Uh, and the remarkable thing is that uh, my book, Finding Ultra, is on the syllabus uh, for a required freshman class called the Freshman Experience, which is mind-blowing to me. The fact that uh, a college is, is, is requiring students to read my book as part of their curriculum is really, uh, to me, uh, not just mind-blowing, but kind of affirmation of this journey that I've been on, affirmation that uh, people and also young people are looking for sustainable health and lifestyle solutions. Um, it's an amazing time in this health and wellness revolution that we're on, and it was a privilege and an honor to go speak with the students and to the, and to the general public about the subjects that I'm passionate about uh, that I'm trying to uh, convey to you by way of this podcast. So it was really great. Um, I'd really love to do more college speaking, so I'm looking into trying to do that. So any of you out there who have anything to do with the college who'd be interested in having me come and speak, get in touch with me, man, because I would absolutely love to do that. Um, and I'm getting ready to go out on the road again. I'm going to be hitting the Worcester Massachusetts Veg Fest on April 14th. Uh, I'm going to be in New York City for a couple days and I'm going to uh, grab some excellent podcast interviews when I'm in New York with some folks that I know there. And then I'm going to be in Ottawa, Canada uh, that following weekend for Plant Powered Ottawa. Uh, Dr. Michael Greger and I uh, are going to be speaking and hanging out with people. So if you're in uh, Ontario, Toronto, uh, Ottawa vicinity, uh, check it out. I think the website is plantpoweredottawa.com. Um, it might be sold out. I'm not sure, uh, but there might be still a few spaces available if you're inclined to come and uh, hang out with me and Dr. Gregor. Uh, and if you don't know who Dr. Gregor is, you should check him out. His website is nutritionfacts.org, and he was a guest on the podcast. He was one of my early guests, and I think might still be uh, one of my most popular podcast episodes to date. Um, what else? Uh, if you are enjoying the show, we put up a donation button on richroll.com on the podcast page. Uh, and I want to thank everybody out there who have donated to the podcast. Uh, it's kind of amazing to me because I'm just here to provide a service and, and bring it to you uh, for free. And so many people, um, have, I, I suppose, gotten so much value out of it that they felt inclined to throw, throw us a few bucks to uh, keep the pirate ship going. And, and that means more to me than you can imagine. Um, I'll always, this show will always be free. I'll always continue to bring it to you for free. But if you want to support, that's a great way to support the show. A couple bucks, you can do a monthly subscription, throw us a couple bucks. It'll charge your PayPal or your credit card a couple bucks a month. You don't have to sweat it anymore. And, uh, no big deal. Also, we have the Amazon banner ad up on richroll.com uh, on the podcast page and on the blog page. So if you're going to buy something on Amazon, hey, do us a favor and just uh, click on my Amazon banner first to take you to Amazon, buy whatever you're going to buy, and it won't cost you anything extra, but uh, Amazon will throw us a few quarters and it will keep us going. Um, 
a cool idea actually that somebody suggested is to just uh, if you have a little um, icon on your browser for Amazon because you buy stuff on Amazon all the time, just swap that out with the link that uh, that my banner ad forwards you to and put that up in your browser so then you don't have to think about it anymore. You don't have to go to richworld.com. You'll just have that link right up in your in your browser as a uh, as a easy way to click to Amazon and that way you make it even easier for yourself and it continues to help us out. So let's get to today's episode. Today I am very excited to have lifestyle entrepreneur Lewis Howes and Lewis is a guy who I was introduced to by a mutual podcasting friend. Um, he's kind of a remarkable guy, actually. He's done quite a bit in his young life. Um, he, I guess you would, he would call himself a lifestyle entrepreneur, but he's much more than that. He's a former professional arena football player. He was a, a, a standout college football player, and he's kind of one of those jocks that can play every single sport. Uh, he, he's strong. He's fast. Um, his dream was always to be in the in the NFL. He didn't quite make it there, but he did play professional football in the Arena League. Uh, and he's currently a member of the U.S. national handball team. So he's going to tell us all about handball, which I find fascinating. Um, but in the wake of his uh, professional football career getting cut short due to an injury, uh, he had kind of a line in the sand moment. And if you know me, I love line in the sand moments. I love these sort of um, midlife epiphanies that occur. Uh, he was depressed and on the couch, and I can certainly identify with that. That's a big sort of thematic through line in my story, uh, confused about what he wanted to do with his life and, and what to do next. And, you know, as, a, as somebody who had spent his entire life pursuing athleticism, uh, to find himself unable to continue to pursue that uh, is, a, is kind of a scary thing. But, um, through some of the tools that he's going to talk about today, he was able to sort of identify what his passion was and put that into motion and sort of uh, smash cut to now. He's become an extremely successful online entrepreneur. He's figured out how to leverage his knowledge base through the internet to create a very successful online business and, uh, and, and allow him to pursue the lifestyle that he enjoys, which is a pretty cool lifestyle. So he's going to tell us all about that. Um, I did his podcast a couple of weeks ago, which is blowing up on iTunes. It's called the school of greatness on iTunes and you should check it out. He has some really awesome guests on his show. Uh, and I was really honored and, and proud to, to be a guest on his show the other week. People seem to enjoy it. I really got along with Lewis really well. I think he's a great guy and thought that he would be a great fit for this show uh, and to kind of tell us a little bit about his story and um, how he kind of navigates life. And like I said, you know, for me, health is health extends beyond just, you know, Hey, what do, what do you have for breakfast? It's sort of, how do you unlock that personal power and unleash it on the world? How do you become the most authentic version of yourself? How do you, I guess what it boils down to is how do you, maximize your happiness? How do you design the lifestyle that you want that will make you happy and fulfilled that is in alignment with what you feel your legacy is and what you want to leave behind, you know, on this earth in this short life?
We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built-to-move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof, with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. 
without further ado, let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, Lewis Powers. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me. Yeah, I got to come out to your place soon. You do, man. I, I, I try to make that happen. But, you know, I live out in the boonies. It's hard. In L.A., you end up driving so much that... Uh, <clears throat> It's hard to get people to come out to our neck of the woods. Like yeah. they think we live in like Santa Barbara or something like that. It's far it's, for sure. It's really far. I'm so used to it now that I don't think about it. And you for me mind. to drive into town is no big deal. But yeah, we want to have you out, man. We'll cook you a big vegan meal. And you know, you're my new project, dude. I'm going to get you vegan by the end of the year. <laughs> man, it's, <laughs> we'll see. I'm yeah. getting closer and closer. So uh, we'll see. All right. Well, we had such a good time uh, on your show. That was really yeah, cool. So I thought it would be great to, uh, you know, spread the love around a little bit. I appreciate having it. you on the show too. So I appreciate it. Everyone yeah. loved your content. So cool. Yeah. You're, like I mean, you're much. rocking it. You know, like let's just talk about podcasting for for a minute, sure. so we can you know alienate everybody and lose subscribers quickly. Sure. <laughs> it's been really fun for me. I mean, it's and you just started yours shortly after after mine, and your gangbusters are they're showing your podcast on the the homepage of iTunes, yeah. and you're getting featured, and you got great guests. So anybody who's just tuning in and we'll get into who Lewis is and all that kind of stuff in a minute. But, um, you know, stop what you're doing and go subscribe to his podcast. Cause it's, it's great stuff. Yeah. Thanks. Why don't you tell me a, a little bit about what your kind of goal is with it? Yeah. This podcast is called the school of greatness. And my goal is to help as many people find out how to become great in their own lives. So it's, it's a couple goals. One the goal for me is to connect with some really inspiring people, business minds, athletes, celebrities, so it's like a social capital um, thing for me to like build those relationships and have a platform to mm-hmm. share their content. And then the second thing is to share amazing information with an audience. You know, when I moved here to LA, I was like really tired of this driving stuff. And I was like, how yeah, can I No leverage? wonder you wouldn't drive out to my house. Exactly. I was like, <laughs> I don't even like driving a couple miles away, but I was like, how can I leverage people in the car for hours and hours. Like, cause I lived in New York for a year and a half and uh-huh. I didn't have a car in Ohio when I was living downtown in Columbus. And yeah, I was like, I've got to figure out a way to build an audience doing this. So podcasting. Is that, I mean, was that the idea? Because you're, I mean, you're somebody who's in, you know, in, in some respects has really mastered the internet. Like you figured out how to really, uh, you know, create a lifestyle and a brand and a way in, and a very good living off essentially your laptop. Right. And, uh, yeah. and you have lots of avenues that, you know, you pursue to that end. You use LinkedIn, you've got these webinars, you've got these online products, you've got, a, you, do you have a membership site now? A couple of membership lots sites. Of, you got a, yeah. a lot, you're, you're, you got, you got it all going on. Like, I want to learn how to do this. I'm trying to monetize I don't know what I'm doing, right. but, <laughs> but I'm, so I'm interested in, you know, so then you wake up one day and say, well, I'm going to do a podcast yeah. too. Like, how does that fit into kind of the spectrum of all the other internet things that you're doing? You know, for the last few years, I've been doing a lot of different things online, and specifically webinars, creating products, information products, doing this web, uh, membership site stuff, coaching, you know, teaching people, creating content. And I like to keep things fresh and do some things that are new. And I've never done mm-hmm. podcasting, and I was always kind of weird. It was like, it seemed like it was cool like four or five years ago or something mm-hmm. when people started really doing it. But it was like, I don't know. I just never knew what I would say then, I guess, mm-hmm. or what type of stuff I would talk about. And then like, I didn't want to talk about LinkedIn on a podcast every time. <laughs> right. And then well, now uh, there's all of these like online marketing podcasts yeah, and stuff like that. That's its own like subcategory. Yeah, there's a lot of them. And then it like seemed like podcasting was dead for a few years. Like the last couple of years, it was like no one was doing it mm-hmm. or it wasn't more mainstream yet. 
And now like Joe Rogan's making millions off of his and Adam Carolla and all this. Is he making people. millions, you think? I think he's making a good amount. Yeah. I don't know specifically. I know he's making uh with a couple of his sponsors and making some really good money off of affiliate sales plus and just getting cash for, for having the sponsorship. But I think what he's doing He's built such an amazing audience that he sells out everything that he goes and does. Right. Now. I mean, it helps. There's so many comedians with podcasts mm-hmm. now, and it really helps them sell out their stand-up shows, and it becomes a more direct-to-consumer kind of yeah. thing. So people who you know are interested in comedy, they don't just show up at a comedy show and not you know you get what you get or whatever, like putting right. a record on you've never heard before, where they're actually going to see that person. They're familiar with them. They know what their humor is, yeah. and, and that helps them. And if they've been following him for six months or a year, then it's like it's so much more intimate, and they're willing to spend more, and they're willing to buy more merchandise. And right, whatever. I think it's just it's it's just another tool to use for people that are providing content to develop a, a deeper relationship with their audience. Yes, you know, and I think it's yes. you know people more and more people. I mean, I discovered podcasting. I say it all the time, so I don't want to repeat myself too much. But I I discovered it when I started training a lot, and I need something to listen to right. on long rides. Right, right. And that was back in 2008, like early 2008, um, when it was it was really kind of brand new. And I think Corolla was was really the first kind of mover and shaker to move into it and try to turn it into a business. And a lot of people have followed suit. There's still a lot of people that don't really understand podcasting. I mean, yeah. I I mean, basically, I'm I'm in my car driving around LA all the time, and I just program my own radio station of all the stuff I like to listen to and try to expand my mind a little bit, rather right. than just turning the radio on and you get right. what you get. Right. Right. No. I'm loving it. It's uh, been a lot of fun. I think I'm about to hit 100,000 downloads like in the next day or awesome, two. Awesome, man. So for me, cool. the first th- three months doing that, I feel like that's a decent. Yeah, that's a lot of people. And you say, you know, and, these, and I think people, you know, they hear you and then there's a, an emotional connection and a loyalty ensues and, and the sense of knowing you and kind of who you are. And, you know, the long format conversation has just gone the way of the dodo. And right. and now podcasting has brought it back. And I think people enjoy that and they like that because you just don't get it in any other media resource available right. to us. Right, unless you're listening to like NPR mm. or something, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. Of course. And so my thing is, you know, when my book came out, I made a decision to shut my law practice down and really give it a go in this mm. kind of health and wellness space. And, and, all I know, like it was a huge leap of faith and I want to get into kind of, you know, your story and, and how you made this leap and into what you're doing now. But for me, you know, I just got so much great feedback about the message I was putting out and I just felt like I need to make a go of this and see if I can try to turn this into some kind of professional, more professional kind of vocation. You know, I've right. got a family, I've got kids, I've got to be responsible for a house. I've got a house. Yeah, I've got a lot of responsibility and yet... I also know that, you know, I don't know that the world needs another lawyer and, uh, no. and, and you just don't get, you know, practicing law. I don't get the feeling that I get when I know that I've helped somebody else out and I get emails right. every day from people that are responding to it. And so I'm trying to figure out how I can, you know, all I know is that I love creating the content. Like I'll do the right. podcast for free forever. I don't care, I know. you know, because like, I just like it, you know, I'll make videos, I'll blog, I'll do all that stuff. I don't think about how that's going to translate into making a living. I just, I do it for the love and I right. do it for just pure service really. And mm-hmm. I enjoy putting that message out there, but it's, you know, because I have all these responsibilities, I've got to figure out a way to make all of this work or I'm going to be back in the law office soon. Right. So anyway, I hope you can help me out a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Well, there's definitely ways to monetize anything you're doing. And I, I mean, I spent a year and a half, two years not making any money when I was starting out, just trying to figure out this stuff as well and discovering what people were doing and 
trying different things. But I think it really starts with being a credible expert on something, mm-hmm. having some type of passion and expertise that you know more than 99% of the people right. or you know half the people, right? Because if you can yeah. teach 50% of people something, then they'll pay you for it. So I feel you, like I've got that part figured you've out. You've got to figure it figured out. Yeah, you took the leap of faith. I don't and, have the payment part figured out. Exactly. I feel, you know, part of it is is psychological for me too because you know, I, I spent some time studying how all this online marketing stuff works and I watched a bunch of webinars and went to a bunch of membership sites and tried right. to see what people were doing. And, and quite honestly, I got turned off by the whole thing. Mm. I felt very pitched spammy, to, right? I felt, yeah. it felt like it was spam. A I felt lot. like a lot of them are people saying, yeah, I made a million dollars online and you can too, you know, pay right. $99 and I'll, you'll, you'll get access to all of my secret information. And I was like, I just felt like this is a big, I don't know. And for me, at the end of the day, the most important thing is being authentic mm-hmm. and being real and, and just being a human being, being about the whole thing right. and, and being willing to talk about when I made a mistake or a right. failure and, and trying to share what, what has worked for me. And, and, uh, when it, when I started looking at all that stuff, I was like, this doesn't feel good to me. It doesn't feel like that's not, if I was to start doing that, I think I would undermine yeah. the entire audience that I've worked hard to kind of cultivate that I'm trying to help. Right. I think a lot, you know, a lot of the messaging and like the design and the copy out there online, for people like promising different things. If you're just getting into it and that's all you see, and then you start teaching people the same thing, you just kind of follow that pattern. So a lot of people mm-hmm. just like follow along the spammy ways of marketing, I guess stuff. But I think the authentic people build the true audience that stays with them for life. So you're doing it the right way. Right. I'd rather build it slowly and organically exactly. and, and just, you know, make 99% of it free and right. hopefully valuable to people out there. And, you know, once in a while, like, you know, maybe throw me a couple of pennies and that's why, I, <laughs> you know, I put up the donation thing for the podcast and I put up the Amazon banner ad. And if people feel good or inclined to support the show, then they can, but I, you know, they don't have to, right. You know what I mean? Like it's up, right. it's up to you. So well, your audience is mostly what now, do you know? The demographics of the audience. Yeah, like who are they? Are they like people trying to do what you did, which is like leave their, you know, lose some weight, get more active and fit, and like. Feel I mean, I don't passionate. have like exact Google Analytics on it, but I think that it, you know, just based on the emails that I get right. or the comments or or whatever, I think it, it's pretty it's pretty broad. You know, it's not just triathletes and marathon runners. Mm-hmm. It's it's middle aged guys who are trying to sort of recapture their health and their fitness who are frustrated or maybe feel trapped in their jobs. It's actually a lot of, you know, a lot of women too. Like I remember when my book was, you know, when we were working on, when I was working with my editor on my book and my editor in New York at the publishing house. And he was like, your audience is, you know, middle-aged guys that watch sports center. And I was like, I I don't think so. You know, there's like a huge passionate vegan market out there and there's a lot of, that's predominantly women. Yeah. And, you know, I think that there's a bigger audience out there and that's, you know, that's what I think it, it, it ranges, you know, it's a lot of people that are just into wellness, health and fitness in general who aren't runners and aren't triathletes and it's yoga people and people right. that are into meditation, people that are into spirituality, a lot of women that are just into vegan food and, you know, I don't know. Yeah. You know? So well, it's, it's broad. It's, you know, it's, it's not one very segmented sector for Yeah. I mean, there's definitely lots of ways you can monetize it. In my opinion, there's coaching, which you said you don't want to do, but there's a high level coaching that you could do. Mm -hmm. There's a membership, you know, aspect where, okay, we're doing this podcast and the content on the blog for free, but I'm going to give you guys like exactly what I break down for the eating for my training every day. I'm going to give you my training workouts every day and Mm -hmm. every week. 
So there's some type of element to that. Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking hard about a membership site, um, mm-hmm. and I actually put it out there a couple of weeks ago and asked people to you know send me comments or whatever on what they would like to like if they'd be interested in that. Like I want to just do it, make it. You know, I don't know, twenty five bucks a month or yeah. something really cheap, and yeah. and and then just create a, a four walled community where I can enter. Like because now it's come, it's gotten to the point where I get so many emails, I just can't respond to them. Yeah, and but I want I want to be communicating with the audience and if i could create a community where i can really interact and and be helpful rather than just you know not have the time to respond to an email or just give a short response that isn't that helpful like i think it would be a good way to do it so in the simplest in the simplest way that you could do it is have a private facebook group because everyone's on facebook and that could be your forum say hey it's 20 bucks a month and it's just a facebook group right and stop paying i remove you from the group or whatever you know that's like the easiest way you could do it. Right. As opposed well, to building a site and having a form and content mm-hmm. every week or whatever, but doing something like that. Yeah, it's interesting. And you know, one of the things I know that you 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 always say, one of your guiding principles is is you're not afraid to fail and you're not afraid to succeed. Right. You know, and I think that's powerful and potent. And you know, I, I'm not afraid of failing, but I think I still have some kind of weird psychological residue that, that sure. is afraid of succeeding, you know, mm. or, or yeah. feeling like I don't deserve it or, I'm, you know, I'm, I can't, you know, I'm not in a position to ask people yeah. for money. What do I know? Right. I mean, yeah. I, think I, I think I feel fear uh, of failure and success. I think I like, you know, when I do something, I feel a little bit of fear. Like, is this going to work out or is it not? You know, but I don't let it hold me back. Like, yeah, I think people think, uh, you know, courage doesn't mean you're not afraid. Everybody experiences right. fear. It's what is your behavior in the face of something that's frightening? Like, right. are you going to push through it? Or are you going to let it, you know, make you shy away from exactly. meeting a challenge head on? Yeah. And for me, I'm always willing to take it on head on, no matter how afraid or how stupid it's going to make me look if I do fail or succeed. Uh huh. Where do you think that comes from? You know, probably a lot from my childhood of being the youngest of four, never feeling accepted, uh, kind of like a goofy, tall kid all through elementary school, always getting made fun of, not having friends, and really being, I think, angry a lot as a kid that I didn't have that acceptance or acknowledgement. And then, uh, you know, I remember there was a pivotal moment in third grade where I was picked last for a dodgeball game for our class. Mm-hmm. There was two popular kids, guys who picked the teams, so they go one at a time. And they picked all the guys, and they started picking all the girls. And I was the last person to pick. Mm-hmm. And I remember it wasn't even like, okay, Lewis, you're on this team. It was like I was the default last person, and so I just went on the other person's team, or whatever. And I remember just being so mad in this dodgeball game, just like slamming the ball in people's faces, catching everything to try to prove them wrong that I was good. And after that, I just spent like all my nights in the basketball gym, just like playing with older kids to try to get better as an athlete. Mm -hmm. And once I started to win and kind of develop into my body and, you know, my skill sets and athleticism, you know, these older kids would acknowledge me and be like, they'd want me on their team. So it was like, okay, and now I'm being accepted. And I think uh, when you make that that link in your mind, like that mm-hmm. mental equation of "oh, I actually worked hard at this and tried to get better, and now it. I'm better," and look at how I'm exactly. being received differently yeah. than I was before. Everyone accepts me now. I think life, you know, oftentimes, and I talk about this a lot, and I talked about it in my book, but you know, we all have these sort of definitive moments in our life mm-hmm. that change things or set us on a different trajectory. And I'd, I'd read about that third grade episode and. You know, my, my youth was very similar. I was, you know, we're different kinds of athletes and you developed into somebody who's got a lot of, you know, sort of eye hand coordination skill and and strength and power. Um, you know, I'm the endurance guy, but I was always the last guy for dodgeball, handball, (laughs) softball, baseball, basketball, and I'm still 
terrible at any kind of ball sports. Right. Like I'm, I'm awful at that. Well, it's like Michael I mean, Phelps. My, he's bad too at everything, yeah, right? You know, like the pool was the one place where I could go and, and, and do well because I couldn't do any of those other things. But I think that that motivated me to find something that would work for me, mm-hmm. you know, instead of like, I just, I tried, I tried to play basketball. Like it wasn't happening. Right. So, right. You know, I went in another direction, but it did motivate me to work hard in the pool and get good at right. that. Like I realized I had some potential there and, and to double down on that. And, yeah. you know, the, the sort of aptitude to be able to identify that moment and understand the kind of importance of, you know, uh, of what it is, even, you know, even if you're reflecting back on it now to go, wow, that that's what that happened. Yeah. And, you know, I've had a couple moments like that in my life so that when it happens again, you can go, oh, this is another one of these moments. Like yeah. I have a choice right now. What choice am I going to make? Am I going to make the courageous choice or am I going to make the fear-based choice? Right, right. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, I feel I've got lots of friends. I feel, you know, family is I'm very loved by my family. Um, obviously, they've got a you know decent sized audience and they appreciate the content I give them. So I feel like I'm accepted now, but I still have this drive to like, continue getting better, mm-hmm. reaching a larger audience. And now it's just inspiring people to be the best version of themselves, I guess. Right. And I think that that is, that's the key. And that's definitely the kind of underlying theme of this podcast. I mean, it's a fitness and health nutrition oriented show, of course, but, but for me, it's more about what's behind that or what is that, you know, where does that lead you? And, right. and, and for me, it's all about getting in touch with who you are the, and unlocking that best, most authentic version of yourself. Right. Being able to be acquainted with yourself enough to know this is the thing that gives me a heartbeat. This is what I'm passionate about. I mean, if you're, look, a lot of people are walking around completely disconnected. They don't even know what they want. They don't, they don't know, you know, if you said, what is your dream? Maybe it might be like getting a fancy car. That's not an answer to me. It's like, well, what is it? What is it that you're passionate about? What do you want to? What do you want your life to be about? And yeah. you know, I didn't ask myself those questions until much later in life. And I wish I'd been in a place where I was doing it sooner. Um, but I think we all have something inside of our ourselves, some passion, some dream, some you know, something that we want to express more fully. Right. And and true health in a holistic sense. Yeah, you know, really is bringing that to the surface yeah. to a point where it can become, you know, a defining aspect of your life. And that's what you're sharing. That's your legacy. That's, that's who you are. And I think that, you know, <clears throat> you're, a, you're a great example of somebody who is stepped into that and you're, you know, you're a very actualized human being. And, you know, if somebody were to say to you, you know, on, on the heels of your injury, in football and not being able to play anymore that you'd be sitting here now doing what you're doing. I mean, you're an unlikely candidate for that, right? I would have never thought. Yeah. So how does that journey unfold? And, you know, in in the introduction, I'll tell everybody what that is. So we don't have to. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, you're talking about after my injury, like how did it all unfold? Right. Well, why don't we recap? So, so, uh, so, you know, you're a college football star. Your dream is to be in the NFL, right? That's what it was all about for you. Yep. Right. So everything in college was just about all getting about ready to be an NFL football player. No backup plan. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, and I, I made the Arena Football League. Well, in high school, though, was it your goal? Like, now I'm going to play. You, so even when you're in high school, it's like, I'm going to be in the NFL. In high school, it was like, I wanted to be in the NBA first because I was like mm-hmm. a 6'4 freshman and I thought I was going to keep growing. And I was like starting on varsity as a sophomore and I was like, you know, doing really well. And this is in Ohio. This is in St. Louis. Oh, I went St. to a private uh-huh. boarding school. And. 
it was, uh, so I was like, I want to be a professional athlete. It was like basketball. And then I realized as I started playing football and that I was really talented and I was the prototypical NFL, like wide receiver height and weight, uh, going into college, I was like, this is probably the better sport for me. Mm-hmm. And I was a decathlete as well in college and I uh, was an all American in that sport, but I didn't want to wait four years until the Olympics to like maybe have the chance against like the best athletes in the world. Right. Um, you like Brian Clay. Exactly. And well, you just, did a, you just have him on your podcast? I did. Yeah. He's yeah. a, he's a mutant the guy's amazing. And, um, so I took on, I took on football. I had some NFL tryouts, didn't make them because I went to a smaller school and it's just kind of hard to make it in a small school, especially mm-hmm. if you're not like the speed prototype. And I was running a 4.640 and I needed to run about a four, four for them to like, give me a good look. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, so I went and played arena football for, a year, year and a half, really started like the end of the season on one team, and then my rookie season, I went and uh, played a, a team in Alabama, and I got injured in the second game, and it was uh, I played the rest of the season with a broken wrist because I was kind of in denial. I was like, I'm not going to sit out my rookie year. I'm just going to play it through. Like, uh-huh. That's all I wanted to do. I didn't care about anything else. Right. And I knew I needed to get some good reps and some like game film in to show it to the NFL teams to give myself a chance. Had surgery at the end of the year and uh, was in a cast for six months, a full arm cast. And then I was, you know, sleeping on my sister's couch for about a year while I was recovering because I didn't have any money. I didn't have, you know, any savings and uh, didn't have a place to go. Luckily, my sister brought me under her wing and I ate all of her macaroni and cheese left over and whatever she had. And I was struggling to try to figure out what am I going to do next? It was like mm-hmm. a depressing state. But back just to just to add a little color back to the yeah. the arena football days. I mean, is that what is you know that's a it's, that's a bizarre world. It's not the NFL, man. And it, I mean, what is that it's, culture like? Is that, are, is everyone there just trying to get to the NFL? That's it. And it's we, I mean, I was in Alabama in a small town called Huntsville, Alabama, which is like yeah. another country in my mind. It was like so southern and like different than what I was used to in Ohio. That you know, I was one of. Uh, you know, three white guys on the team. Uh, I was friends with everyone, but it's just like the cultural differences and uh, just the things that these guys were doing on like the bus ride. We'd have like 15 hour bus rides to Florida or whatever. Like the glamorous and, life of a professional athlete. And we're bunked three, three high in bunks in these buses and like 350 pound dudes like above me, you know, two feet away. And it's just like, uh, it's a whole other world. You're yeah. in a football world. I mean, just, how many and how many people show up to those games? You know, it depends on like the city and how good you guys are, but anywhere between five thousand and twenty thousand, right? So, just depends on like how good the team uh-huh. is. But uh, and is it sort of cutthroat in the sense of you know, hey, you you know, I'm trying. Everybody's trying to get to the NFL, so everyone's it's a zero sum game. Like yeah. you, may, you know, if you're doing well, then I'm not doing well. Or I mean, are there NFL scouts that are coming to these games? I mean, how does that work? Yeah, they're picking up guys. You know, mid season, end of the season, stuff like that. It's usually in the off season. It's like during the winter time because it's indoor. But they're you know having guys coming to training camp and whatnot. The thing is, every week you never feel comfortable because they're always bringing in about five to eight new players at different positions just to have them like fresh legs to try them out to see if they're going to make the Mm -hmm. team. So if you have a bad week, they can cut you at any time. Uh, So there's no job security there. No job security. And it's just like Bush League, like the coaching, you know, it's hit or miss on the coaches. They don't care about you. Mm -hmm. It's not fun anymore. There's, you know, fun moments, but it's not like college where you're like having fun with your buddies. These are like almost your enemies because you're fighting against each other every day in practice. If you get lo- if you mess up too much, 
then you could be gone the next week. Right. Another person's in the locker. So it's, uh, I know it's just, and you're not getting paid much, getting like a thousand bucks a month. Right. And if you make <laughs> scores, awesome, if you score a touchdown, you get like a $50 bonus. And if you win, you get a $50 bonus. And you could bonus. potentially just com- you'd completely destroy your brain and your body. Everything, man. I mean, I broke my wrist and I crumbled it for the rest of the season just because I was like, I need a player or else I'm not going to get paid. Uh-huh. And uh, so you just played that one season and, and then that was it. That was it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had surgery and then I, I wasn't ready to come back in a year later. <laughs> And so I had to take a whole nother year off, basically two years off in order to come back if I wanted to. And then the arena football league actually went under for the year. It like folded because of the economy. So they mm-hmm. just kind of shut down the league and then they came back a year later. So I'd missed two years of football and I was just like, I still wanted to come back, but I was like, I can't go to the arena league and then try to make it to the NFL. I'm going to be 27. Then like they don't take 27 year old rookies who, mm-hmm. you know, aren't blazing fast in the first place right, except in the movies exactly yeah. so unless you're kurt warner you know it's like oh. if you're a quarterback and this and that so i just needed to find something else i didn't have a choice i had to figure out what i was going to do next and it's a it's a weird thing uh when your whole life has been about being a great athlete or or yeah. you're funneling towards becoming a professional athlete it's your you kind of put all your chips on the table for that and it's it, that's all you think about that's all you do all day is train and then literally overnight it's over with and done there's a sense of i mean i experienced this on a very low level i mean you know swimming so no right. one's making a career i mean michael phelps does now but in like the 80s like nobody you know and, and i mean i was essentially a bench warmer at stanford right. but i was surrounded by olympic champions you yeah. know and nc2a record holders american record holders and you know gold medalists and the like and it was interesting to kind of observe at an arm's length, like how everyone kind of managed integration into regular life after that. Like some did very well and some struggled with it. And and even even me being a bench warmer, like when my swimming career was over, like I was in free fall. Like I was mm-hmm. like, I never thought about what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't you just train all day. I didn't think that far ahead, even though I was at this great college and had all these resources and, and the like, I was so focused on being a, being a good swimmer that- yeah when that was over, it was very disorienting for me. And I, and I struggled with it. So I can't imagine somebody who's, you know, performing, you know, in a, in a major sport where they're getting paid and all of that. And then, and then that's over. I mean, that must right. be, you know, it's, it's gotta be crushing for a lot of people. And you think, well, you have all these, you, you know, the skills that you develop as an athlete, the ability to focus, the ability to kind of follow through and be task oriented and show up on time, you know, apply yourself and, and all of that is seemingly very translatable into the, into the real world. But, mm. but you know, I had trouble translating those skills yeah. and, you know, I think, a, I think a lot of people do. So, you know, for you, you talk yeah. about, you know, having a depression for a while and, and what that yeah. was like. Yeah. I mean, I think all these skills are very translatable and I, I wouldn't be where I am today without being an athlete and having that mindset. But a lot of guys can't translate it over because they're not passionate about anything else they mm-hmm. haven't figured out what they're passionate about. So they're, they love football or basketball, or whatever, but then it's like when it's done, yeah, all, those, tools, all those resources are applicable because they care about what they're doing. Exactly. But if they're going to go work at a used car lot, like they have, no, they have no passion to get on time yeah. and like fall through and work together as a team. So, and it's not exciting. You, there's that, you know, the yeah. energy and the, all of that is gone. Yeah, exactly. So for me, yeah, I spent you know a year and a half trying to figure out what I was going to do next, and my family was super supportive. They never really like 
made me feel bad about like recovering and kind of losing this dream. They were like so supportive. My like aunt gave me a little part-time job at her pharmacy. My brother, I was doing some like MySpace marketing for his music stuff. I was mm-hmm. doing some little things here and there just to like make, you know, a hundred bucks a week or whatever. So I could pay my gas or something. And I remember my sister, it was about almost a year I'd been living there and I hadn't paid her any rent. I hadn't really, you know, for the first seven months, I pretty much moped around and didn't clean and didn't help out because I was just like depressed and she put up with it. And then she was started to be like, okay, you know, I get to start paying some rent or I get to find a job soon or something like this because it was a year. Mm-hmm. And I started looking for jobs. I was like, maybe I'll get into like sports marketing because I have a sports management like background and I'm interested in sports. So I applied to like some of these jobs on in Columbus, Ohio. And I remember getting a couple interviews. And the first one, it seemed like a cool company, but it was like a $35,000, $40,000 paying job. And for me at the time, I was like, I'd be rich you know, because I was broke. But I was like the day of the interview and I just couldn't go in. I just like, I didn't even email them and to cancel. I didn't do anything. I just couldn't go. I couldn't give myself to go because I knew if I went in there, I could, I could get the job. I felt like, mm-hmm. and I was like, I don't want it. I don't mm-hmm. want to like, go somewhere every day and like be building someone else's dream. I want to like do what I love. And, yeah. Whereas uh, most people, well, first of all, it's amazing you have that support because most people would, yeah. most dads or whatever, Hey man, you know, get a job, you know, right. welcome to the real world. Right. Exactly. And then secondarily, you know, to have the self-awareness to say, this is not right for me. I mean, I would have just said, Hey man, I got to get a job, you know, right. let's take it. This is, this is the way of the world. And, I think when I had a taste of like the lifestyle that I wanted, which is like you wake up around nine or 10, you go to practice for two hours, you lift in the gym for an hour, you get like, you know, go to the pool and do some rehab stuff, rehab stuff. And then <laughs> Sounds you, good. Like who's going to, how am I going to get paid to do this? Exactly. And then at like one o'clock, you're done for the rest of the day to go play video games or like watch TV or hang out with your friends. I was like, and then you play in front of 15,000 people on the weekends. It was like, why would I want to do something different than, mm-hmm. you know, than that feeling? I had the taste, even though it wasn't the NFL, it was like a taste of this cool lifestyle. And I knew that I could figure out a way to like experience that feeling, whether or not I was doing the same things. If I could create that environment for myself. That's what I wanted to do. And so for the next couple of years, I was kind of on that journey of like, how can I create my lifestyle? I don't need a lot of money, but how can I like or the things that are going to give me this kind of flexible lifestyle. Right. And that's what happened. Kind of on a Tim Ferriss four hour work week model. It's funny because I read my brother gave me that book when I was injured. I got that book for Christmas when I still had my cast on and it was like, I'd never even thought of those possibilities of like building a business online and having like a passive income and all these things. Cause I didn't know anything about business. And so reading that for me was really, at the time, mind-blowing because I was just like this athlete-focused person and had no clue you could make money online. And I think not having any experience or like working in a business before or anything like that, it allowed me to just be so open to the possibilities that anything is available to me if I just Mm -hmm. take action and just follow a proven plan and just like go after it. So when I was doing this and I was kind of like growing an audience and started selling and making products people would ask me, but people who I knew who were doing this online for like five or 10 years, I started to surpass them. And I was like early on reaching out to them for advice and kind of following what they're doing. But then I started surpassing some of these mentors of mine who I felt like were, you know, kind of online marketing geniuses. Mm -hmm. And they started coming to me and being like, how are you doing this? And I think a lot of it is just because I wasn't like 
so messed up in the head of what I could or couldn't do. You didn't have to break a pre-existing paradigm no, yeah. for how to... I was just like, anything is possible. This is the lifestyle I want, and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to find the people who can help me. And really, what it started when you, you started creating a, a, a LinkedIn group, right, for sports entrepreneurs, yes. and then having meetups in various cities, and yep. then kind of compiling this group of people that spread across the United States and then, and then, you know, showing up in person to meet yeah. them. And then how does it, but how does that turn into a business? Like, how is that, how's that supporting you? Yeah. So I was doing like kind of, I did like 20 local events in different cities around the country in, was it 2009, I believe. And so I was started doing them for free. And then I started to charge like five bucks at the door, then $10 and $20. And I started to get sponsors. I started to get commission from the food and bar sales. If it was a restaurant. Um, and then I wrote a book about LinkedIn. So I was selling books. So I was trying to figure out any way I could monetize these like little events where I was getting 300 to 500 people to show up. Uh-huh. It just got so exhausting, like being there and building relationships, like one by one and shaking everyone's hand. Like I was so tired for a few days afterwards. And I was just like, man, it's a lot of work and I'm only making like two or $3,000, you know, doing these mm-hmm. like cat. It was nice cash, but it was just like, it's not worth it. And it's like all my time and energy to like promote these things. There's got to be a better way to like help people. Cause I was trying to help people come together from off online to mm-hmm. offline um, to build their business. So I was like, there's gotta be a better way to serve these people and then also make a better living from it. And it was the moment I did my first webinar, which is basically an online seminar where I had, we had like 600 people on uh, where I made uh, I, did, I talked about LinkedIn marketing. I talked about like how to grow your business using LinkedIn. And at the end, I offered like a $150 training that teaches people more about the advanced strategies. Mm-hmm. We made $6,300 in that hour. And it was at that moment, I was like, oh my God, I'm sitting here you know, in the comfort of my living room. I was actually at my brother's place renting a room for him at that time. But I was like, I'm sitting here at the comfort of a living room. I'm not like speaking to everyone one by one and shaking their hands. In your underwear. I was in my underwear. <laughs> exactly. It was like super hot. It was in the summer. And I was just like, I can make $6,300 and I don't have to travel to go like host an event. And I made double that I made like doing the whole of work for an event. And I was like, this is, you know, something new that, I, and I was just like, I'm going to do a webinar every, I could do this every day for the rest of my life. If I was going to make, you mm-hmm. know, $6,000. So hour. you weren't charging for the webinar. It was just a free hour, free, like, you know, online, like, Video or just it was, audio? It was or like a conference it was audio. Call? It was audio, but you could see like my screen. Oh, I so I'd put up a slideshow and like share some content, some slides. And oh, I got gotcha. talk. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, and over the last few years, I've probably done over 700 live webinars and a number of automated webinars since then. Just learning. So I was like, okay, I'm going to learn everything I can about webinars, maximize this thing so I can make the most amount of sales off these webinars and serve the most amount of people at the same time and become a better presenter, share better content, create products around this. Each day it was just like setting up webinars, building the relationships with people to promote webinars, learning how to speak better, learning how to present like everything mm-hmm. to maximize what I was given or what I'd figured out. Right. Which was webinars. And behind it all really is this, I mean, you know, I, I get what I get from you, which what I don't get from a lot of these other people is just a sense of, you know, enthusiasm and authenticity. Mm. Like you're really having fun doing this. You're enjoying yeah. helping people. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really the defining principle to long-term success and what right. you're doing. I mean, 
you know, people can tell, like we talked about earlier, you know, whether it's pitchy or, or, or what have you, but you know, you just seem like a, you just seem right. like a good dude. Right. You know I appreciate I mean? it. I appreciate it. <laughs> I think when you're, uh, when you're excited about like, for me, I was always excited about my lifestyle and the possibilities of building something awesome, like this community and these products and things like that and learning and just connecting with awesome people. And so I, that excitement, I was able to always have great energy around it. Like if you're not excited about what you're doing, you're going to have low energy. For mm-hmm. me, that's why I was able to have like this high energy all the time. Cause I was just like, this is so much fun and I'm learning so much and I'm helping so many people. And you know. right. And it's such an interesting time because really every single person has this sort of distribution access to right. self create what they want their profession to be in certain ways. Right. If you have a message, then you have a microphone and, and you can build your own audience around that. If yeah. you have something to share, that's of value and you're of service to people. And, and uh, you know, it's cool to see, you know, look, there's a lot of people that feel stuck, you know, they feel stuck in so their many. life. They're in a cubicle every day. They hate it and they can't see their way out. And right. so if you were to say to them, Hey, you know, you can take control of your life. I mean, they don't, where do you even start with that? You know, I mean, it's, it's tough and I have compassion for that. And yeah. I've, I've been there, you know what I mean? I know what that, I know what that feels like. Um, so, you know, what is something that you could offer to somebody who's in that position? Who's like, you know, I need, I need to find a way to live my life and, right. and, you know, make a living, but find more enjoyment in what I'm doing and, and, you know, find another way. Right. I mean, part of me would, it's tough because if you have responsibilities and kids and bills and stuff, it's tough to just like say, okay, I'm going to quit everything I'm doing and go do this full time because you might be screwed for a year or two. But it is going to take some time to develop new skills. Mm-hmm. And everybody has free time though. People will tell you they don't yeah. have free time, but exactly. you know, if you're, if it's important enough to you, you can cut other stuff out of your life and, and make the time to start taking baby steps yeah. in a new direction. I mean, you could go to bed at 10 and get up at 6am and work for two hours before you have to go to do work mm-hmm. or whatever, or get up for your you know kids or something. So, uh, I definitely think that you can start anytime. You just got to figure out what it is that excites you. Because if you figure out what it is that really excites you, mm-hmm. then you're never going to get bored of doing that if you've been excited about it for your whole life. Um, so I don't know how you got into sight. I guess swimming you were excited about. Well, I was always, you know, I, I, yeah, I loved swimming from the, for, as a kid, you know, and part of my journey was kind of, you know, re, sort of reconnecting with that right. part of my life. Um, but if you're so disconnected that you don't even, don't even know, and I, I know people like that. And I think that- They have no clue what their passion is. They're it's like, like, what uh, do you say to somebody like that? But, it, and for me, I would say, well, first of all, for me, it all, it always starts with food. Like, what are you putting into your system every mm-hmm. day? You know, let's clean that up yeah, first. That's true. Let's ungunk the engine a little bit because if you're eating like crap, like I know when I'm eating like crap, I'm not thinking clearly. I don't feel aspirational about yeah, anything and I'm disconnected from uh, the better version of myself. So yeah. I would say that. And then it's an inside job, man. You know, no one can answer that question for you. Only you can answer that for you. And that takes work. You right. Know? So for some people, that means going to therapy. For other people, that might mean, you know, starting to exercise and feel yourself and your body again. And for others, that might mean meditation or some combination of all of those things. But you have to kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's work, you know, just like yeah. anything else. But the, the, the gift and the value of kind of, you know, having some sort of realization about what your life, and we, you know, we all have it inside of ourselves. It's an yeah. unlocking process. And I would say the, the second, well, maybe if not the first important thing after 
what you're putting in your body is really what thoughts you're listening to and what Absolutely. what you're accepting from other people telling you. Because if mm-hmm. your spouse is always saying, no, you can't do this, you can't get that, you can't do your own thing, you've got to make sure that we're secure and have this and this, then you're never going to be able to like break free from Or that. if you're telling yourself that. Yeah, if you're telling you know, yourself. If you're I've had to work really hard to kind of overcome negative thought patterns. And my wife catches me all the time. She's like, why yeah. are you saying those things? Like you're just, you're going to create that reality. If right. you're like, like I said, something yet like my car is starting to break down all the time, right? It's and, always going to break down. And then down. my buddy dumped a green <laughs> a green smoothie on my laptop, like you know, the same day. And I was I was and I was frustrated. It wasn't his fault. It was an honest mistake. And the the guy's so awesome. He made you know he made sure he got me all set up again yeah. and totally whatever. It's all fine. Um, but it was one of those moments where I was like, everything's breaking, you know. And then like, it all kept breaking. She's like, it's going to keep breaking if that's yeah. what you're saying because that's what you're putting out into yeah, the universe, exactly. you know. And if you, instead you said, um, wow, isn't it awesome that Greg is being so cool and he's going to make sure that you get another yeah. laptop right away so you don't even miss a day of work? Like, yeah. what a great friend. Yeah. You know, like that's a different way of looking at that scenario. And she's right. And and it's hard. You know, I have a, I have a whole lifetime of, you know, negative thought patterns that I'm constantly working on. And it's like yeah. hard work because my default is like the, the, sh- the other shoe is going to drop and it's right. all going to fall apart. And, you know, you got to like overcome that stuff. I don't know when, like my default is always like towards gratitude. I don't That's know. the key. That's the key to everything. I think gratitude and service, man. I think it all started to change like in high school because I was really like angry and upset. Like as a, as a, as a kid growing up and like, not accepted like I talked about, but then like in high school, like I just felt like so accepted just with everything I was doing. I was friends with everyone. I didn't have like one sports click. I was like friends with everyone mm-hmm. my junior and senior year. And I started to like, just really be grateful for my experience, my opportunities, like my first 18 years and like how far I'd come. And I don't know why, but I just started, you know, the people I was surrounding myself were so positive that I just started being more and more positive. And I think it's all about the people you surround yourself with. That that, environment. Well, and then, you know, water rises to its own level. So yeah. when you're putting that out to the world, then those are the kind of people that you're going to bring into your right. orbit, you know? Right. And I think I read something that you wrote, maybe it was in the Forbes piece where you said you were depressed, you know, when the football career was over and you're on the couch and you're depressed and not seeing a way out that, you know, one of the choices was, you know, I can be depressed. I can, I can feel bad for myself. Yeah. I never made it to the NFL you know, I played one season of arena and I broke my wrist. Like this is, oh, this is terrible. But yeah. instead you can flick the switch and say, you know what? How awesome was it that I always wanted to be a professional athlete and I got that opportunity yeah. and I made that happen. Like that's, that's fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, there was definitely doubts in my head because, you know, there was better athletes than me at my school who could have played you know, arena or the NFL, I thought, and, but they never went for it. They were like too scared or they just like didn't want to or something. But I think it was really because of fear of like not making it. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm going to make it no matter what, at least be a pro athlete, even though it wasn't the NFL. And um, after I got injured, I was still kind of like a little fearful. I was like, oh, my friends aren't going to accept me because they're going to say I didn't make it or whatever and this and that. But I really started to, after a few months, you know, I was depressed for a few months. And I wouldn't say like serious depression, but I was just like moping around and didn't know what to do with my life. I was just like, I've got to find people who can support me and help me take it to like figure out what I'm mm-hmm. going to do next. I reached out to a few mentors who gave me great advice. I was like, okay, here's an opportunity. I've got all this free time on my hands. I can go back and finish school now. 
I, uh, I've always wanted to learn how to overcome my fear of becoming a public speaker. So I went to Toastmasters every single week and learned about public speaking. Mm-hmm. I met with a, a famous inventor who became a great mentor and friend of mine now who taught me all about product development, inventing, licensing, like manufacturing, everything there is to know about how to get a product to market in retail stores. And so I was just learning about like marketing and everything else as well, like working with him like every day for a year or two. And, uh, you know, I was just learning all these new skills and I wouldn't have, if I was still playing football, I would have just been stuck in football mode all day long. Nothing else matters. Heroes developing relationship building skills, public speaking skills, business skills and everything else. And Mm -hmm. it was, uh, I mean, it was like the biggest blessing to learn these skills and have these opportunities. And I wouldn't have that if I was in the NFL, you know, a lot of guys get stuck in the NFL and then when they're done, they go broke two years after they're. Yeah. That's, that's a huge problem. Or they're like having serious mental issues or people, you know, people recently are committing suicide a couple years after they retire. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, they don't know what to do next. They, Mm -hmm. even though they were a superstar, that's like, that's their identity and they, they're 30 something years old. And now what do they do? Right. Yeah, it's a big challenge. It's what we were talking about earlier about, you know, when your whole life is about that. And you're, yeah. you're, you've invested so much in a particular identity, you're attached to that identity. And when that identity is no longer like overnight, literally, you know, what do you do? <laughs> like it's, it's, it's scary and, and disorienting. And it goes into, you know, how we attach, you know, like attachment to things, like whether it's your car or your job or, your house or, you know, anything, it doesn't matter what it is, but we always want to, we all want to create an identity around something and we all kind of mentally hold on to things and and associate them with who we are. And I think a lot of the kind of, you know, mental and spiritual work and where meditation has helped me is in, is in, you know, detaching, you know, uncoupling those attachments saying, you know, yeah, I have, these are, these are things in my life but this isn't who I am. You know, right. I'm not defined by any one of these exactly. things. You know, I'm, I'm more than that and I'm different from that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm all of these things and none of these things. And I think you can always reinvent yourself mm-hmm. if you choose to. You don't. But if you're, att- if you're so attached to a certain identity, you're not going to, or you're going exactly. to struggle with that more, exactly. I think. Exactly. Um, but then, you know, going, and going back to gratitude and, and, and service, I mean, for me, just in my experience, I mean, those are kind of like two, two of the defining principles of recovery. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a practice. Like you have to practice gratitude and, yeah. and, and you have to practice service. And when I'm feeling down or I'm feeling like my life isn't working the way I want it to, it's like, I'm, I'm all up in my head, you know? Right. And most of that is not real anyway. It's just these thoughts and it's saying these thoughts are not real. I can choose to believe them or not. The best way for me to shift the way that I'm thinking is to pick up the phone and help somebody else who's kind of having a harder time than me. Right. You know, and when I do that, then suddenly my problems better. go away. Yeah. I feel better. You know, even if it's Machiavellian, even if it's like, you know what, I feel lousy, like I want to feel better. I'm going to help right. someone solely for the selfish purpose of feeling, feeling better. Yeah, <laughs> you got to fake it to you. Make but, it uh, yeah. Yeah. And then being, and then just like practicing gratitude for me, yeah. that's, that's, it's hard for me sometimes, you know, yeah. I'm not always in gratitude, but when I am like, my life's better and and those problems that I think I have sort of miraculously solve themselves. Right, right. And then, you know, I, I and sort of the riffraff in my life goes away and the and a higher quality, higher vibrating, you know, people come into my life and my life is enriched and hopefully I'm enriching theirs. Right. Yeah. So service, gratitude, people. That's it. Inside job. That's it. Right. I mean, you're a really positive guy. I try to be. You know? I try to I be. mean, just out of the womb like that or like no, again, I mean, I, was, I wasn't positive when I was a kid, and I used to fight mm-hmm. so much, like, especially in sports. I would just get take things so personally. If someone, like, 
said something the wrong to me or did something I felt was intentional, I would just like react and take so much offense. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, I remember freshman year, I was so mad that I did not make the senior basketball my freshman year because I was better than a lot of these guys who were playing. And I, I made JV and I was like the starter and you know scored a ton of points. And the coach really helped me stop being so angry. Like I was so mad that I didn't mm-hmm. make it the varsity in my freshman year. And I was so mad, like just in practice and games. And he would guard me actually in practice. And he would like talk to me in my ear, like get in my head and also just like physically get in my, in my head. And he was like, and I couldn't react to him. So it was like, I had to learn how to not react and just be like, learn how to play when people are going to just be dirty with me constantly and just like mm-hmm. learn how to overcome it and accept it. And once I started like, that was like the best lesson for me of like overcoming a lot of anger issues and just like not being grateful and thinking everyone's out to get me mm-hmm. was uh, that basketball season with him just like really teaching me how to become a man and not be like this little boy who's just upset all the time. Right. Yeah. The, the importance of mentors again. Man, so powerful. You know. And mentors you just really appreciate and look up to and like respect. So who are your mentors now? Um, well, I've got a few that, uh, I work with that I've been working with for the last few years and I really consider them just more good friends that I just like lean on every now and then now. But, uh, a guy named Stuart Jenkins, who is the v- vice president of innovation at Deckers, which is a big shoe brand actually in Santa Barbara, a billion dollar brand up there. He's always been a very big supporter of mine and helped me with just making sure I follow my heart and making good decisions, very ethical, moral decisions mm-hmm. in every part of my life. And uh, he's also very smart in just business in general. So I've leaned on him for that. Another mentor of mine early on is a guy named Frank Agin, who I uh, co-wrote my LinkedIn book with, who was a really smart public speaker, really talented, um, amazing relationship building expert and networker. And it just taught me all about how to build quality relationships with people. Mm-hmm. And then Chris Hawker, who is this famous inventor, who is a, a, one of the most brilliant minds I've ever met, just like coming up with an idea and then like actually making it real and then also making a business out of it. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of inventors who are like, I have this idea and I can create it, but then they don't know how to like market it or brand it or build the relationships with the right companies to license it. He can do all that. So it's uh, it's pretty impressive. And they're all still great friends of mine and great mentors. Um I would say that I just have a lot of quality like friendships with people who I respect now in very different aspects of of life. Right, right, right. right. And it seems like your approach to, you know, everything that you do, I mean, I guess lifestyle entrepreneur, is that like, what do you, if somebody said, what do you do? What is your, that's just what I've been saying more in the last like six months because I don't know what to say to people. You know, it depends if it's, if it's another another author or writer and I know that I'm like, yeah, I'm a writer as well. or I'm an author or whatever. Uh If it's an online marketing person, I'll just say I'm online marketing. But for people in general, I'm just saying lifestyle entrepreneur. And then they ask, what's that? And they're like, oh, you don't have a job. Right. Exactly. (laughs) You're, you're, well, I say entrepreneur. I used to say entrepreneur. And then people be like, you don't have a job. And then I'd be like, yeah, it's fine. If you want to believe that. You should just hand them the, the magazine that you're on the cover of. Exactly. Right. What is that? What's the magazine? It's called Aspire Magazine. It's like a magazine for entrepreneurs. I just saw your Instagram with that. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Thanks. thanks. Is that out on newsstands now? It's just on iTunes. It's like just online magazine. Yeah. Uh Um, but I'm telling people lifestyle entrepreneur now because it's easy for me to say when they ask, what's that? 
Does that mean you just don't have a job? And I say, no, I build my lifestyle around my business as opposed to like, um, excuse me, I build my business around my lifestyle as opposed to my lifestyle around my business. And, right. uh, I'm just focusing more on my, myself and building passive income so I can fund my life. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And it's a very, you know, creative, unique approach to business and life. And it's cool to see you making it work. And it begs the question of something that's really interesting to me, which is this sort of connection between athleticism and creativity or artistry. Mm. Because growing up, I always thought you're, you know, either you're an athlete, you know, the athletes and the artists, they don't mix. They're two different crowds of people. You know what I mean? You're a jock or you're the guy who's drawing in the corner or reading comic books. And, And I was always, you know, I was a different kind of athlete because swimming wasn't a mainstream sport. And you know, I was always into kind of more artistic kind of stuff. Like I acted in the plays and I liked yeah. to read books and I was a loner, awkward kid. And I always tried to, how do I reconcile this? Like I have to choose one of these things or right. the other. Like you can't, I can't be both. And, and, you know, I've only in recent years am I realizing, no, you can, you can, you can be both. You can leverage the best things of both of those mm-hmm. things to live like a more creative existence like you're not maybe you're not a painter so you're not you know an artist in that definition but if you take a broader definition of what an artist is or a creative person is how do you express what you do you know with your fitness or your athleticism into you know sort of your own personal kind of imprimatur on that that in many ways i think can be qualified as art right you know i mean i just read i have some thinking about this a lot because of Seth Godin's new book, The Icarus Effect. Have you read that book yet? I haven't read it yet, no. I mean, essentially what he's saying is, you know, the American workforce is suffering because, you know, everybody in in corporate in the corporate world is kind of a drone and and we don't value uh or reward creative thinking in our workforce. Whereas, right. you know, the one kind of outlier who has a different take on maybe how something should be done within the the, the sort of infrastructure of a big company, that should be the person who should be listened to. And right. the company should not be afraid to fail and they should try new things and be more nimble and facile. Um, and we kind of crush the spirit of that, like get on board. And he's sort of saying, you know, we're all artists, like whether you're working in a cubicle at an insurance company or, yeah. you know, you're Picasso, whatever, we all have an artistry inside of ourselves that we should be expressing more and that as a culture, as a society and in business and, and what have you, we should be rewarding and celebrating more than we do. Right. I um, agree. And I think that you're somebody who's navigated or, you know, managing kind of both ends of that spectrum. Like you're an athlete and you're still an athlete. And I want to get into that in a minute, but you know, you're very creative in your business endeavors and you're, you know, doing a lots, lots of different things. You can't say, Oh, I do this one thing. There's no term for what yeah. you do. And that in and of itself, I think is, that is, that is artistic in and of itself. That is creative. Yeah, That's it's like a creative express your life is your, your profession is a creative expression of your lifestyle and how you want to live your life. Right. Exactly. exactly. And so, I think, yeah, I mean, if you're going to try to make a living off of like all these different things, you got to be creative in how you're going to do it. And like, mm-hmm. you know, not just a paycheck from one place. You got to figure out how you're going to like, right. And you live. figured out, you were the first person to kind of figure out LinkedIn really. I mean, I mean, I don't know if you were the first, well, you, you, you wrote a book about it. Right. So, you know, you, no one else had written a book about how to like create a career off of leveraging relationships right. on LinkedIn. So, right. you know, that was a sort of thinking outside the box thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I wasn't tied down to any like beliefs of what I could or couldn't do. And I think, I think I give that, you know, 
my dad would always push us to like try all these different things. Like I was in the choir my whole life and played guitar, still play guitar today. And, you know, was in the musical as well. And, mm-hmm. uh, and your brother, right? Like you were telling me about your brother. Yeah. He's the tell number me, one. Tell us, tell the audience about that. Cause that's crazy. My brother's the number one jazz violinist in the world. And, uh, he was, he was, uh, you know, a top classical violinist when he was, in high school in the country, it was like one of the top. How does that happen? Like how- since he was five, my parents put him in violin lessons and were like so strict with him like every day for two hours. And he just had a gift and he picked uh-huh. it up very quickly, but he trained really hard and he was, uh, he was a machine. And then he, he actually went to prison in 19 cause he sold drugs to an undercover cop. Oh, wow. Was sentenced for seven to 25 years prison for selling Whoa. a couple sheets of LSD because they wanted to make an example out of him. He was 19 at Ohio State and he uh, he only he only was there for four years. He got out on good behavior. But um, when he was there, I mean, this shows his character. When he was there, he took every opportunity to like go to school there. He, he was boxing every day, learned chess, reading all the time. And he joined the prison band and it was an all-black band. So they're playing mostly like rap and hip-hop and gospel and soul mm-hmm. and blues so he went from learning classical violin to like playing these all these different genres, and then after he got out on good behavior, he just became a jazz violinist and kind of took it over by storm, transformed his life, and now is opening up for Elton John. Played for Les Paul for ten years in New York City, and that is you know, that's an insane story. Yeah. Oh my God! And he's playing Lincoln Center in New York in a couple, in a couple weeks, weeks, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. For a whole for like five days, yeah. That is, that's amazing. Yeah. So that's, he's your, he's a younger brother? Older, 11 older years brother, older. 11 yeah. years older. And then you have two other siblings. Two older sisters. Yeah. So my dad always, you know, wanted us to be very uh, well-rounded and pushed us in all these different areas. We all played sports. We all did music. We had to. Mm-hmm. And uh, he always gave us the mindset of like anything is possible. And that's why I think it allowed me to be like, okay, I can do whatever I want because that's just what I was told by my dad, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Wow. That's cool. I mean, that's amazing support, you know, yeah, I mean, and to have great. that, you know, you're older. I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, what were your parents going through when your brother was in jail? It was rough, man. I mean, every week. How old were you? So you were eight in years high old. school. Oh, eight you were. Yeah, old. that's right. You were, yeah, yeah, you were eight old. years old. I and mean, for me, it was even more of an angry time because I couldn't have friends then because everyone, all my friends' parents knew that my brother was, and we're in a small town in Ohio. So like uh-huh. having a, a yeah. relative go to prison. Kid, bad family. Is like, you know, no one is in prison that we know, you know, it's like we're in the suburbs. So it was just like, I wasn't able to have friends. I wasn't, you know, when he got out, I couldn't have my friends come around. If he was there, it was like just, you know. So as a kid, were you pissed at him? I wasn't pissed at him. I was just like upset that people didn't understand because I was like, this doesn't represent me, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love my brother. I still love him. It's not like it ever affected me. We went to go visit him every week in the uh, visitor's room at the prison. And it was like the best time of the week for me to like hang out with my brother. Right. I wasn't like mad at him ever. We was like happy when he got out, mm-hmm. and because uh, he, he made a mistake. Though. It's like scary though. He made a mistake. It's like that movie. There isn't there a movie out right now with The Rock where like his kid. It's a similar situation. His it? kid makes a bad decision, but it's like a, you know, he gets some insane, you know, twenty five year sentence, and so The Rock goes on a journey to like he's got to provide names to the district attorney to get his kid out. And- crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Wow. So it is what it is, but uh, it's all builds character, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. And now he's at Lincoln Center. That's, yeah. quite, that's quite an arc. It's amazing. He you plays know? all over the world, you know, the top places in the world. Mm-hmm. So, wow. 
And so just getting back to your kind of, you have this lifestyle now as an, as an entrepreneur, which frees you up and you, you have, you know, time on your hands to pursue other things that you're interested in. And you found yourself, I know you're an avid CrossFit guy. I don't want to talk about that, but also what I'm really interested in is hearing about handball. Yeah. So you're on the U S national handball team. Yeah. And handball, and for people listening, there's two different handballs. There's a handball where you hit a ball against a wall, like the New York style. Right. And then there's the one team handball, team handball, which is I play, which is very popular in Europe, not popular at all here in the U S. Sometimes you play it in middle school for like gym class, but, um, it's it's an Olympic sport. It's basically water polo on a basketball court, if you can visualize that. And uh, it's a team sport. So how does that happen? Like, where, where does yeah. this? How does this come into your life? So I'm depressed on the couch at my sister's place in 2008 when the Olympics were happening, the Summer Olympics. I'd just gotten off my my cast was off me, so I was like kind of rehabbing my wrist. And I was like, I want to go. St-, I was like thinking, am I going to go play football or not? Like, can I do this? I want to do something. But I don't. I want to. I want to do something at a high level, not just like play flag football or like bas- pick up basketball mm-hmm. for fun. My dream really was always to make the Olympics. I wanted to be a pro athlete, but I was always like the most inspired every four years during the two weeks Summer Olympics, and that was like it would like get me through the next four yeah, years. Me too. It was just like there's nothing like it. I mean, maybe it's just the production value that NBC does. It like just makes you want to cry, like mm-hmm. all the stories and just right. like the hard work. You're just like, oh my god, this is inspiring. And so I remember watching it like late at night, it came on and it was the first time I'd ever seen team handball. I'd never seen the sport before. And I was excited and mad at the same time, excited that I would found this sport that I felt like was perfect from who I was as an athlete. Cause you had to jump it's like part of basketball, kind yeah, of football. Exactly. Kind of, you know. And I was like, I had a great arm strength. Like I could throw a football 60 yards and you know, 85 mile hour fastball in high school. So I was like, this is what I can do. And you got to jump, run, be tall. Like, this is my sport. I was like, how did I never find this? Well, how would anyone find it in the exactly. U.S.? Like, no where, who, who even plays it? Like, where do you no even one. go? No one. Right. There's, it's an amateur level in the U.S., so there are club teams uh, in pretty much every major city. But I was in Columbus, Ohio. There was not a team there. And so I tried to do research to find information about it. There was nothing in Ohio. It's like I had to be in New York City or L.A. or something. Even then, it was so hard to find information about it. Like in the USA National Team site, there was like no information. I called people, I emailed people, no one would get back to me until eventually, uh, a few years later, I moved to New York to learn handball. My whole goal was to. Oh, like, that was why you moved to New York? For literally, yeah. So for like three years, basically, I was just like always come back. My In my mind, it would always come back to handball and like, how do I want to learn handball? I want to learn this. Like, a month would go by, but I'd just be like, oh, I'm missing something in my life, which is like this competitive drive. And I'd think handball. Because it's like, okay, what can I do competitively at a high level here in the US? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I'm going to regret it if I don't go and learn this sport and see if I at least have the potential to be like on the US national team. Because I heard that the team wasn't that good because, you know, we just don't have a pro league here. So it's just like... Right. I mean, did they get their ass handed to them at the Olympics? They didn't make the Olympics. Oh, they don't even make the... They don't, they didn't make the what is the selection flag. process for... So every four years, right before the Olympics, is the Pan American Games, which is North mm-hmm. and South America for all the different Olympic sports you compete. And for handball, they only take one country in North and South America. Whoever wins the Pan American Games 
they go. Oh, wow. So I think there's only 12 or 16 countries total. That doesn't seem, that it's seems so weird. stupid. Why can't they? I mean, the Olympics so, is about having, I mean, exactly. even in swimming, you have like the guy from some obscure exactly. country who can barely swim. You know? Who like the, high, the best <laughs> yeah, high school player yeah. can be, right? It's, that's the thing that really frustrates me. And I think it's something about the like International Federation of Handball that chooses we're only going to have this many teams or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's going to change in the future, but for now, it's it's not. And um, so that means only one country. And right now, Argentina and Brazil have professional leagues. So they're playing all year round together. They're playing international competition. They've got the funding. They've got a uh, you know youth programs with people who are trained. So they know what they're doing. Right. So the challenge is to like how are we going to beat one of these teams? You know, we could get to the top there, but unless we're playing together every day and playing against top competition and internationally, it's going to be really tough. In three so they years. take one from North America and one from South America, or just one from the one, whole continent? One from the whole continent. Oh wow! It's yeah, yeah. But they'll take two, I believe, in Rio in 2016 because the home country gets an automatic bid. Oh, I see. So they'll take one more. So it's like gives us a better chance, but. It's we got to really practice and come together. And right now, it's like the Olympic Committee for the, you know, the USA Handball. We don't get any funding. We don't have like any structure. It's just so much in the air, and it's just kind of like we got to make it on our own. But how does it? So tell me how it, how it happened though. So you just yeah. decided you were going to learn the sport, and how did you seek out? You know, how did how did it all come to be that you actually did learn and ended up on the national team? So I moved to New York City, and I, which is a whole other podcast about how this <laughs> happened. But to keep it short, I moved to New York City. The guys kind of laughed at me. I'm the only American who comes to this practice, and it was the last practice of the year. They kind of laughed at me because I was like, "Here, I'm, I'm learning." I just moved here from Ohio to learn handball, and I want to make the U.S. national team. They all laughed because they're all like European. And we're like, you don't know what you're talking about. So they say, come back. So they're all doing it for, for fun. They're, they're like they're expats or whatever, they're, just yeah. living in New York. They all live in New uh-huh. York. They've moved there. They're all, uh, you know, they all used to play professionally. Some guys on the national team in like different, different countries. So these are top players from like five, seven years ago. Right. A little out of shape, but they're like still really good. And they're like, come back in a few months if you want to learn and you can practice with us. Where do you guys play in New York? It's like a high school gym. So it's not even a regulation court. It's like a smaller court, but it's like something. And so I come back in a few months and I show up and I, you know, long story short, I practice twice a week. We only practice twice a week, but I practice twice a week with them for the whole year. And uh, in less than a year, the U.S. national team emailed me and said, you're selected to go wow. compete with the USA team. So do they send you to tournaments around, and like, how does that work? We've only had one tournament in the last like six months, and that was in Argentina. Mm-hmm. And uh, they sent us there, but it's like, basically, we sleep in... There's no money. It's like this. you're sleeping in outdoor tents, basically, is how bad it is. Right. I mean, it's no money. It's like... And when it's really are, when's, it, when's Pan Am Games? It's the it's like a it's like four months I think before the Olympics. So. And where is it? This, where is it? You know, where I'm not sure is. where this one's going to be. I think it might be in Canada, right? In but that's cool. I mean, that's a cool event. You'll get to go and compete internationally. It's like, the mini, and, it's like a mini yeah, Olympics. Uh-huh. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. I mean, I you know, and is there a club that you can play with here in LA? There's a club here that I practice with every now and then, but again, it's like an hour and a half away, and it's only Sunday nights, and it's like if I'm out of town, then you miss you know right one practice a week. So that's why I picked up CrossFit. There's just like train every day or something yeah. and just trying to be in great shape. So that at least I can run up and down the court 
and have the energy as opposed to like having the skills. So I'm learning more of the skills now and just trying mm-hmm. to stay in great shape and be prepared whenever we're, we're going. But the national championships is coming up in May. So I'm practicing with the New York team, flying out there to practice with them and, right. and just getting ready for the national championship, trying to win. It's cool. It seems like a natural kind of, you know, place for somebody, you know, who's been, who was a great kind of multi-sport athlete, you know, in the traditional sports to go, you know, right, it's right. like ripe for, it's kind of like Lolo Jones doing the, exactly. doing the bobsled, you know, yeah. there's a, there's a definite crossover skill set there that, that, uh, that would seem to work. Right. Exactly. And it's cool to watch. I mean, I've, I've watched it during the Olympics, you know, and I yeah. thought, uh, who does this? You know, I don't know exactly. how do it, but I, I, the other thing that's cool about it is that, you know, when you pick an obscure sport like that, you have this enhanced ability to distinguish yourself. I mean, the fact that you just kind of picked it up and then you're on the national team. I mean, obviously you're a great athlete and, and, and disciplined and all of that, but to go, you know, to be able to do that so quickly. And, and, and I, and there's something you know, that I relate to with that. Like I remember when I was, when I was swimming, I wasn't the most gifted swimmer as a kid, but I knew how to work really hard and I would pick the events that no one else would swim in. I picked the 200 fly. No one wanted to swim the 200 fly. So I was like, ah, if I do the 200 fly and I really focus on that, like I'm in a better position to like get, you know, get a medal or get a blue ribbon or whatever. That's what I've done. And that became my event. And then when I was doing triathlon, I was like, well, I can go to, if I do, you know, if I go to Ironman, there'll be, you know, 2,500 people racing, but I can do this Ultraman thing. There's only 35 people yeah. doing it. It's really long and hard. And that's why no one wants to do it. But I have a better chance of like doing well by picking the thing that other people aren't doing. Exactly. And that's, know? that's why I was like, I can't play any of the major sports like baseball, basketball. I'm not, you know, I'm a good athlete, but it's like, I'm not at that level. I, you know, right. I'll never be able to make that. <clears throat> But uh, I was like, yeah, what obscure sport that no one plays can I be the best at in the U.S.? And that's right. handball seemed to be a good fit. Yeah, it's cool, man. So handball and then uh, and then CrossFit, man, which, uh, you know, I've had a couple of CrossFitters on the podcast. I've yeah. never done it myself. I've no, like, I think it's, you know, people have this weird, like, at least on Twitter or whatever, they think I like I'm anti CrossFit or something, but I'm, I'm not at all. Like, I'm curious, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's, I think strength and conditioning training is, is great. But what interests me is how it's become like this religion, you know, it's mm, become a sport in and amazing. of itself. It's a be, it's not a, it's not a pursuit to make you better for, to make you a better handball player or right. it's, it's like, no, you're, 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 you're there to be a better CrossFitter. And there's an allegiance to that. And they, they've created this whole industry around it, which I think is, is fascinating. Right. Exactly. It's a, I mean, what is this whole thing? Like I see tweets and stuff online, uh, 13.2 today. And you know, I'm like, I don't even know what that means. I just, you know, right. I assume that's sort of, there's a hierarchy or a scale of workouts sure. that you work your way up. This is like uh, right now it's called the open workout. So for five weeks they have the same workout that everyone does all around the world. And you try to like Every CrossFit gym is doing it. Every CrossFit gym is doing it. And you see if you, where you rank in the world for I that see. specific workout in this specific week. And this is leading up into the regionals, which you would get, you know, if you're in a certain category in your region, you'll go to the regionals. Um, and then at regionals, they pick people to go to the nationals, like uh-huh. the CrossFit games. And that's, so that's why this is like the beginning of the CrossFit games journey, which right. will happen this summer which is where they coined the fittest man on earth or fittest right. woman on earth, mm-hmm. whoever wins. Yeah, it's cool. So how long have you been doing it? I've been doing almost two years now. and That's, uh, a, that's a long you know, time. Yeah. yeah, I'm not that good at it. Like there's some, <laughs> there's some event, there's some like workouts that I'm really good at, but this is really built, for, it's built for like a, a five foot eight, 
175-pound, 180-pound guy. Like a guy who can just do pull-ups all day long. Pull-ups all day long, yeah. just like, you know, or do snatches or squat cleans. It's like, I've got too long to go for these lifts and with my knees and jumping so much. It's like, I've got more distance to, to cover. You, know, you think it's helped with your power and your speed? I mean, how, what have you, what are the, what is the impact of that yeah. program been on, on your overall athleticism I mean, or your handball playing? You know, it's helped in a lot of ways. I think maybe if I did like a specific strength training program and had like a coach who was just like helping me and like lifting and stuff, I might be a little stronger, but to be flexible, to be, have endurance, to have keep up my agility, my quickness with jumping, everything. Mm-hmm. This is the best thing for me with my lifestyle as well, where I can just go show up and I know for an hour, I'm going to like get a right. great workout and don't have to think. So for my lifestyle to like keep me in shape for handball and everything else I'm doing, it's been great. I feel, I still can, you know, dunk a basketball. I can still jump pretty high. Like maybe I'd be a little bit stronger if I was working on specific lifts and had like a program, you know, I'm sure I could get my lifts up a little bit, but to be flexible and an athlete and not like be stuck in the gym all day and be, you know, doing all that. This right. is uh it's really great for me. And you get to go and have Bob Harper yell at you. Exactly. Yeah. Bob's in our gym and he's awesome. He's, you know, he's always there. And Bob Harper, for those who don't know, the biggest loser, uh, trainer, uh, does CrossFit at, at Lewis's gym. You're always posting pictures. Of him. Yeah. Yeah. I try to, we have a running competition to see who beats each other in the, in the workout of the day. So he, how does he how does he measure we're about fifty fifty? He's actually a like a beast in the gym, like right, super endurance and he's strong and he's almost like fifty. He's like forty eight. I, I know, and he's it's an interesting story too because he was always kind of an endurance guy, but he's really embraced this CrossFit thing. And he was a spinning. He's spinning probably getting coach. paid to <laughs> to be. I, I mean, I don't know what that is, but but uh, yeah, he's he's a he's super fit and right. You know, he right. inspires a lot of people. Super fit. He yeah. was vegan for a while, for a year. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I don't know what happened there, but you know, maybe I'll get him on the podcast and sort yeah. that out with him. It's funny. I've told this story. I don't think I've told it on the podcast though, but Bob, I think when he was vegan, uh, at some point along the way, I don't know how it happened, but he started following me on Twitter like a long time ago, like maybe in 2009 or something mm-hmm. like that. It's been a while. Um, and the last time I checked, I think he still does, uh, but I never met him. I don't know him, even though the bit, actually the biggest loser ranch where they filmed the TV show is yeah. just down the street really? from my house. Nice. Um, and I always see them sh- filming there and, and, uh, and on occasion I'd see him at the Starbucks that's closest by there. I'm sure he's like on his way to shoot right, or whatever. Right, right. And so one day I saw him there and I, I was like, God, it's Bob Hart. You know, I should just say hi. Like, you know, he's, <laughs> he follows me on Twitter. He only follows 200 80 people or something right, like right. that like he obviously like he must know who i am i guess you know so i was like hey bob i'm rich and he just looked at me with a blank stare like, like no idea who i was yeah. and, I, and i just moped away feeling sorry <laughs> for myself <laughs> oh well but anyway um so what do you think it is about crossfit though that makes people so passionate about it like is it the is it the, the community of it like the the sort of mutual support of people doing it together like as that's this experience that's definitely part of it because like whenever i'm out of town i miss like just going to the gym and like just seeing friendly faces of people that have gone through the same pain that I've gone through. So I think it's like uh, other people who have the similar mindset as you, you're building a cool community of people who Mm -hmm. are going through this type of pain and experience. You're also seeing tremendous gains for yourself. So every like week or two, you see like a PR for something you're like excited to try it again and get better. Right. So it gives you that kind of addictive feel of like hitting results and getting stronger and you can see it and feel it. Um, I think it's just a combination of all those things. And also it's like, 
it's one of the hardest workouts where you just have to show up and for an hour you're in and out. So you're not at the gym just like for a couple hours. You don't know what to do. It's like you've got coaches who are coaching you. Mm-hmm. Some of the gyms are better than others, obviously. So you got to be aware of that. But um, I don't know. It's just a combination of everything. It's just, it's never the same workout. It's like always right. interesting and Keeping different. Do, yeah. On your toes. All that stuff. I'd be terrible at it. Yeah, you never know. I yeah. think you'd, your endurance wise, you'd crush it. Yeah. But I'm like, stuff. I don't have that. You know, I need to, I need to get a little bit more stable sort of overall body fitness before I hit the gym. I haven't been in the gym in a while. Right. Maybe, I'll, so, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. So I'm open-minded the, about it. I don't have an opinion. Yeah. I can't have an opinion on it. I've never done it, do so. it. Well, some of the, some of the workouts are like, okay, go run three miles and then do a, you know, a mile row. Right. It's like you would crush some of those probably. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> One of these days I'll get over there. Exactly. Well, cool. Well, um, we've been going for a while, but so I want to wrap this up pretty soon, but, um, you know, I wanted to be able to, you know, I always want to leave the listener with some good kind of takeaways that they could implement into their life and just kind of looking at your experience and, and the decisions that you've made in your life to kind of build what you've, you've built. I mean, what are some of the things that, that somebody who's out there listening, who's struggling, you know, maybe career wise or, you know, feeling adrift with their, with their life, um, you know, maybe fitness oriented, but not necessarily just, just in general, like, not knowing where to turn next to kind of get things back on track and, and, and engage life more passionately. I mean, what are some things you could share? I think first is, um, even if you don't know what you want to do is hanging out with positive people who you really admire. So I think, uh, we can all relate to people that we respect and we admire. And if at least you want to like be like them cause you respect them, then start spending time with those type of people. A lot of people are intimidated by that. I know that you are, you're like, you got over that. You're just like, I'm reaching out to these people, man. I need this in my life. And I'm going to, if they say no, whatever, but yeah. I'm going to ask. I had nothing to lose though. So right. maybe that's why I had that to my advantage. People have more to lose. I was already at the bottom and I was like, you can't make me feel worse. Um, I don't know. Maybe start baby steps. Maybe don't go for the biggest person that you admire, but someone who you like respect mm-hmm. in your community or like in your family or whatever it may be and start spending more quality time with someone that you really respect their like judgments and their decisions, their actions and start just uh, asking for advice from them first. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it was always like, I knew I wanted to be like certain people. So I just started following what they were doing and kind of like reverse engineering how they were doing it and applying it to how I wanted to do it. Right. And listening to their messages. If it was someone I couldn't connect with, if it was like Tim Ferriss or whatever, I'd just like watch all of his videos and read all his articles and be like, okay, I understand it. And I, you know, I feel better about what I'm working on and I just need to keep working on it. Those people I could talk to than just trying to meet with people. I would try to meet, I would do breakfast with so many different people in like Columbus, Ohio that I respected mm-hmm. every week. I was just trying to meet new people that I really respected and admired successful, like millionaires and lifestyle people and athletes, just like anyone that I really respected. I would just hang out with them. And I think just building that community of like an inner circle of your personal advisory board, I guess if you want to call it right is, uh, it's step one because I don't know, you know, people say, or is this in a book somewhere that, you know, your net worth, you basically are who your five closest friends are mm-hmm. like your value, your finances, your, everything you're doing is about like what they are. So if you're hanging out with negative people and negative thoughts, then you're probably going to be negative. Yeah. So that's the first thing. Um, and after that, you know, a lot of it is just taking a leap, I think, and just saying, I'm going to do it and making the decision. I mean, the willingness to sacrifice something because you have to give up something to get something. Um, and if you're sick and tired of the stuff you're doing, then 
you just got to get to the point where you say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired and just like take action doing right. something. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, I say this all the time, but you know, pain is the ultimate motivator. Yeah. You know, I'm like, and, and in my life, that's really been really the only thing that's gotten me to change yeah. my errant ways. Yeah. <laughs> like my eating was a health crisis and, you know, hitting a bottom with drugs and alcohol precipitated sobriety, but it's like, it wasn't because I, everything was going great that I decided to change things. Things were right. lousy, you know, and I was suffering and I made yeah. that change and you were depressed on the couch and you were that, that motivated you to make a change. But yeah. I also, you know, you don't have to suffer in order to change your life. You, you have, everybody has the power within them at any given moment to implement yes. change. You don't have to suffer or be in pain to do that. It's just that as human beings, we're kind of wired to right. not, you know, people say people don't change. Well, I believe people do change. People change when they're in pain, but you, yeah. you don't have to be in pain to change. Yeah. Don't. So it's just harder, I guess. It's harder when you're not in pain. And yeah, the bigger the pain, the, the easier the change for sure. Um, but again, if you get to the point where you're just like, I don't know, give yourself a deadline. If you're like, if I'm not happy within a year, with my, that's huge. It's like, then make a change after that. It's like, okay, I'm going to see how I feel in six months mm-hmm. or a month or a year. It's like nothing changes then. And accountability, you know, yeah. use that, you know, that, that circle of friends that you create yeah. to hold you accountable and, you know, tell them what it is that you're working on. And, and, and then, you know, that these people that you respect are watching you. Yeah. And, have and that's real, kind of a negative reinforcement. Yeah. Like, I don't want to fail because I don't want to look bad to these people that I respect, but yeah. that's, that motive, that is motivating. And also have some other stakes for yourself. Like if that's not motivating enough, like put money on the table. Like if I do not achieve this by a certain time, then I'm going to donate Right, thousand dollars to the opposite political campaign, or right. you know, something that you. That's that's another Tim Ferriss thing. The, I think the, I heard him talking yeah, right. about that. Yeah. <laughs> Dollar Killers Association of America, or whatever you know, like right, <laughs> supporting <laughs> whatever you know, or yeah, to the meat eaters. Like you should support to the the meat eaters of America. You know, right. the, the, the Bacon yeah. Association. The bacon Association. Oh, God, <laughs> you know, don't get me in trouble here. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think that's wise advice. You know, yeah. kind of, you want the positive reinforcement of your community, but you also want that kind of, you know, sort of looming negative pressure mm-hmm. too to keep you on track and honest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What else? Anything else? It's pretty much what I got, I think. Yeah. I think yeah. it, you know, it, it, again, it goes back to it, it, nobody can tell you what you should or you shouldn't do man it's got to come from inside you got to have and the willingness you got you can and you can't make somebody be willing no. you know willingness is self driven it is you know and and you got to have it within you you know and you can't manufacture it either you've got to want it and change yep. isn't for people that need it it's for people that want it exactly and so you have to gut check and and figure you out do. whether you you really do want to change and if you do what are you willing to sacrifice yeah cuz there's it? a lot of people that say oh i want to have like a million dollars or whatever or i want to get a raise or i want to do this but if you're not willing to do something to get it then you're never going to get it right so you got to be willing to exactly. make some sacrifice somewhere absolutely all right. Well, uh, I know that you end your podcast with a with a particular question, and I don't have anything as cool as that. <laughs> okay. But I'm going to throw your question at you. Oh snap! Which is what is your definition of greatness? Hey, man, I had to answer it for you. I haven't even. You can, yeah, you, I never think about your, it. Your podcast is called School of Greatness. So. I know. I think my definition it probably evolves all the time, but I think right now my definition is going after exactly what you want in life with full engagement and positive intentions for it. Um, 
whether or not you've achieved that does not matter. But I think going after it with full engagement and working on becoming the best version of yourself constantly, of course, we're going to make mistakes and, and fail at that, but working on it constantly while serving and being a good Samaritan to others. I think that's All right. my current definition of greatness. I like that. That's pretty good. Yeah. Cool. So, all right, man. Well, thanks for being on the show. So, Lewis Howes, you're an inspiration. Thanks, man. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Um, people that want to hook up with Lewis and and get down with his program and, and learn more about what he's up to, they should go to lewishowes.com, L-E-W-I-S-H-O-W-E-S. Yep. And and where else where else do you want people to uh, find you? You can go to there. You can go to schoolofgreatness.com for the podcast and Twitter. It's all my name online. So at Lewis Howes. Right, at Lewis Howes yeah. on Instagram and on Twitter. Facebook. And Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm a promotional whore, so. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Self-branding. Um, it's good, though, man. It's good stuff. I'm digging your podcast. So everyone should definitely check out School of Greatness. Thank you. Um, it's blowing up. Thank it's you. blowing up iTunes. Blowing up the world, baby. Yeah. And uh, that's it, man. Awesome. Did. How do you feel? Feel great. You know what? I really yeah. like these mics, man. They're good, right? L- listening to I don't it. Don't you get any more shit about your uh, production value? I know. Podcast. I hope it's better now. You got it dialed in. Listening with the head, the headset is great, though. It's you like it. Some people don't like it. I like it now. I like, I like this it. format, just like looking across the table from you. Yeah, you got to move it off the desk. Yeah, and move it over here. Thank you. Uh, no, it's yeah. good because well, as the ho- when you're hosting yours, you you want to know whether someone's too far away from the mic yeah. or whatever, and then you because you're like leaning forward sometimes. Yeah, yeah like, these mics, people don't realize we're actually like chewing on them. You got to be right up on top of it. So nobody cares about this stuff. Right. We're done. <laughs> Thanks, right brother. Here. Cool. Right. I appreciate on. it. All right. Peace. Plants. Yeah.